0: I was in the station for um, three years before I got assigned to Recruit Academy. Recruit Academy then was eight weeks long. So uh, because I had some experience and could demonstrate that experience, nothing special, um, uh, is, hey, we can't afford for you to go to recruit school because we can't pay overtime for somebody to take your place while you're gone. I went to recruit school finally after Uh, almost three years in the station. And I made it through four weeks of that. And at the halfway point, they came and got me and said, hey, man, you go back to work your next duty day on this shift. Uh, And they pulled me out of recruit school and put me back in the station. Don't tell anybody, but I ain't finished recruit school yet. (laughs)
1: Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson, and joining me once again today with co-hosting duties is Henry Rosenbaum. Henry? Yeah, good afternoon, Robbie. Yeah, thanks again for the studio setup as well, so appreciate uh, you letting us come in and hang out for a while. Uh, there's a longtime fire service tradition that recognizes the most senior firefighter in a department, and sometimes they're recognized with a special badge or a special helmet shield or some other kind of visual recognition that that individual is the longest serving member in the organization. And even without that badge or shield, everyone generally knows who that person is. And those senior members don't survive their years in the fire service without learning a few things. And it's the really good ones that are always willing to pass those lessons along to the newer members in their careers. And I'm gonna read you a post from a uh, Facebook post from the Henrico Division of Fire that was posted a while back. It says, celebrating 40 years of service, we are proud to recognize his name who joined the Division of Fire Family 40 years ago today? During his 40 year tenure with the county, he has served in multiple capacities as firefighter and fire officer in several firehouses and in all battalions. Throughout his career, he has led with professionalism, integrity, forward thinking initiatives, servant leadership, a quick wit that leaves us anticipating our next conversation with him. He's been a teacher a mentor, a friend to so many who currently serve in the Division of Fire or have served in the past. And we would like to thank him for his service to the community and the Division and congratulating him on his outstanding career. Now, that post was posted October 27th, 2016, so almost four and a half years ago, and it kind of reads a little bit like a retirement announcement, but it wasn't. Um, we're lucky enough to have with us here today the gentleman that they're talking about in that Facebook post who has not retired who is now 44 plus years with the Division of Fire please welcome the Henrico County Division of Fire, the senior member and the assistant chief Eugene Gerald, better known to everybody as Cricket. Mm. Cricket, welcome
0: well, Thanks for having me it's great to see you and it's great to spend some time
1: with you Yeah, all, as always and uh, our career paths of kind of touched each other a couple times in the years. it's always great to catch up mm-hmm. but uh just to give the, the the listeners some kind of perspective and uh, that facebook post um uh, uh, joe camrose put a put a note in there that basically listed the other senior members of the department who have since retired and billy folks had 39 years and woody wilham had 37 years so they're kind of numbers two and three on the the tenure record breaking books so uh but those two guys have uh, have since retired, and um, cricket's still going strong. At Forty-four and a half years, am I right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, just with the division.
2: Yeah, and we do have uh, one other now, that, uh, uh, John Schaefer. Mm-hmm. He's in his 40 – He's like two years behind. Yeah, 42 Okay, so years he so didn't he have
1: John Schaefer on the list. So mm-hmm. we've yep. got uh, so John is still working as a
2: battalion yep. uh, chief out in the West
1: yeah. End for us. Yep. So the senior member only by a couple of years, though. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And I uh, just make a comment that the, on that Facebook post I just saw is looking through some of the comments in this po- post, and one thing that kind of stood out to me is I saw a lot of very familiar names from Henrico, but I saw a lot of familiar names from Hen- Henrico, Hanover, Chesterfield, Richmond, and not just in the fire service. I saw police officers, volunteer <coughs> EMS professionals who were saying, "So what a great guy you are to work with in the, in the division. I think that just speaks volumes for for your professionalism like the the Facebook post said you're 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 a, you're a leader in the organization and in the business so to speak in the region mm-hmm. so thanks for that. Let's uh get into a couple of questions. The first question I got I don't know if any I've never heard the story of this. How did you get the nickname Cricket?
0: Well, um that's a story that's going to uh require me to if i tell it in its entirety it's going to make uh, both you and me both blush Uh-oh. <laughs> so uh but it did uh it, it did come uh immediately after i started my career here with the division of fire mm-hmm. um and so it, that that name uh came to me about two months into my career um and uh to to talk about some some good old folks in the fire department um bob clark uh mm-hmm. tagged me with that name so uh m- maybe you can get him to tell you the the, the rest of the
2: story All right, we'll see if we time. can get him yeah, so i think we got a connection there yeah, all right
1: so there, you go, so. uh, there we go so stay tuned for uh mm-hmm. part two as you will and uh you started in the division in 1976 but that's not where you got your fire service start uh, you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the fire service
0: um, well, I, I, my fire service exposure started back when I was, uh, you know, very young, about about four or five. Uh, my parents were in our um, <coughs> community's local volunteer fire department. I grew up in a very rural, uh, isolated community in the upper northwest end of Hanover County, a, a little village called Beaver Dam. A very rural agricultural community. Uh, next closest fire station was thirteen miles away. So <clears throat> pretty pretty self sufficient little part of town there. And um my parents were involved in that. And uh I can remember um uh when I was four or five years old of getting roasted out of my bed immediately and a very abruptly in the middle of the night, uh thrown in the back of a cold uh sixty five uh Chevrolet uh Chevelle and then taking off down the road, chasing a 1953 Ford fire truck to a fire. Hmm. Um, no seat belts, no no car seat, you know, none of that stuff. Um, uh, and then uh, we'd get to the fire, and my, my dad would pull out his gear and go, uh, go help with the call, and Mom was sitting in the car with me and my sister. Um, my mom played a part in it. Fire department as well. Um, she was involved in what we affectionately termed the uh, ladies' artillery, uh, which was a support mechanism for the fire department to help raise funds. So that's where my fire department exposure started. Those um, abrupt awakenings in the middle of the night were uh, <coughs> equal portions of uh, adrenaline as well as fear. Um, and for some reason, that uh, that that become very satisfying. So, and I got my interest uh, stimulated in the fire service. I, I, I formally joined the fire department uh, in my community um, in 1970. I was 14 years old. Um, I, was, I was very fortunate uh, that God put a a person in in my pathway that was the chief of that fire department that. Uh, had a very positive influence, uh, not only on my fire service side of my life, but also my personal side of my life, um, <coughs> and, uh, and took a big risk on me uh, because he saw the interest that I had in the fire department, and 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 basically, I'd grown up around him, around the firehouse. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, back when I was four and five, a, a, a big thing for us on the weekend was go to the firehouse after church and after after lunch and about 3.30 in the afternoon on Sunday afternoon the good humor ice cream truck uh, would come by and would make a stop at the fire station in Beaver Dam um, and that's just where the guy would come take a break, smoke a cigarette and uh, he had a long trip back to Northern Virginia where he came from that day and we were the, we were the terminal end of his route. So about 3.30 in the afternoon uh, uh, everybody would bring their kids over to the firehouse and I get my good humor, ice cream sandwich, and and uh, mess around with the fire trucks and stuff like that. And everybody else's, all, all my kids that I wound up going to school with later on. And, um, and that was a, that was that was fun times.
1: So what? It wasn't just the fire department members were coming. It was a community. It was yeah. a, I mean, mm-hmm. it was much more in the days when that volunteer fire company was very community based.
0: Well, it was three things to do in our community: it was church, fire department, softball at the and Park um and and you were involved in one of the 3 or multiples of the 3 uh, that was the that was all the social activities that was in our community mm-hmm. at that time
1: so 16 years old it was at the was that the first time you started riding fire trucks you started going to calls yeah. could you go on calls at yeah. 16 then
0: go, go on calls um um wouldn't ride the tailboard yet um i'd ride in the cab uh, bench seat in that old uh, uh 53 ford uh, super duty uh, so i could ride in the cab in the middle position where the gear shift was uh between two guys up front um some of my my first uh, um, jobs was they taught me how to pump the truck um so that the people that were uh able to go in and be around the fire actually uh you know and work around it um um could go and and take part of the firefight and you got to understand that everybody in that fire department was you know akin to one another it was if you know you and your kids kind of came through it so your parents did things to make sure you were participating but Protected to a certain degree as well. So that's why I got the pumping job.
1: So, so that wasn't uh, that wasn't some state regulation That said 16 year olds couldn't go in burning well, buildings uh, like it, it is today. It was it,
0: yeah It was um, it was just just you know watching out for the young ones. I- if it was a rule out there. It wasn't uh, It It wasn't very recognized so.
1: What was the training like Had they I mean they, they you said they trained you to pump was it just kind of come here come here junior let me show you yeah. how to do this um
0: well my uh, my first training was just from other people's on-the-job experience. And uh, our volunteer fire company was very unique, that it was a cross-section of every different uh, facet of our community. It had it had people that uh, worked for Defense General Supply. It had a mailman. It had an electrician. It had a construction superintendent, you know, a doctor lawyer, Indian chief kind of thing. So everybody had a had a special vocation that was different, um, uh, but everybody took those talents and and when it came to the firehouse, uh, no matter what their social economic situation was, whatever their domestic situation was, whatever their vocation was, is is everybody was just a fireman at the firehouse. Everybody was an equal, and. Um, and I learned so much from people who had no "quote unquote" formal fire training, but the way that they applied the trade level expertise they had in a particular trade and had relate how they related that to firefighting was insurmountable amount of learning. It's stuff I still use today. Um, and now we had a formal curriculum too. Our, our, our our fire chief at the time, he was a uh, first state fire instructor uh, in Hanover County um, in the early 70s. Um, but there wasn't any real formal curriculum before that to follow. So he um, followed the um, Oklahoma State University uh, fire curriculum that they taught in college out there and uh, bought a set of their manuals. Um, that um purchased them it was like buying a, s- a set of encyclopedias back in the day but they were fire department encyclopedias mm-hmm. and that's where he developed all his training curriculums uh, that's how he trained his fire department so
1: and you were saying earlier that he just he didn't isolate that to Beaver Dam. he no. took that kind of statewide yeah, he,
0: he he used those curriculums as he start taught, taught statewide quote unquote the Board of Education, so yeah. to
1: speak. You mentioned that earlier. There was no f- Department of Fire Programs yeah, back then. It was not
0: when I in the infancy when I first started. It very soon came along, and uh, I think its first name was the uh, Fire Services Training of Virginia, and that's kind of evolved into what we know today as Department of Fire Programs.
1: Wow, so uh, th- a ton <laughs> of history there too. But uh, we want to jump jump forward just a little bit. Um, and how did you come to get to work for Heinricher.
0: Well, naturally, I had this uh, huge interest in the fire service that had been cultivated by my actual participation in it. Um, my birthday's in December, so that meant um, I had to wait an extra year from a lot of my buddies to start into the first grade. So you had to be six years old, Mono kindergarten, back in those days. You had to be six years old at the beginning of school uh, to to enter first grade. Well, uh, my birthday was in December, so I couldn't go to school with the most of my buddies whose birthday was in appropriate time to let them go. So I had to wait an extra year to go to to go to uh, to go to school. Uh, I had to wait till the next year, while I was six. So I kind of had a six month period there between December and school starting. That hey man, you know that fall um, that I had to kind of sit in the bullpen and wait to go to school. Uh, but what they did on the back end is, it. I turned 18 while I was in high school, while I was still a senior. And um, so at, at the t- getting toward the end of my uh, high school days, uh, as soon as I graduated from high school, I um, I took the entrance exam for the county of Henrico for a firefighter and for the city of Richmond. And I entered those processes um, this is back when the courthouse was at 21st and Main downtown for the county.
1: The county's yeah, courthouse. Yeah,
0: so that was kind of unusual. Um, and then um, uh, I worked a, uh, pretty much a summer job and continued that on in. And then uh, October of 76, uh, I got a call of and got a job offer and ain't looked back since. There you go. Um, Two weeks after I accepted the position with Henrico, I got a letter from the Richmond Fire Bureau and congratulated me on being the latest member of the Richmond Fire Bureau and gave me a date and time to report to their fire headquarters downtown, and I respectfully uh, turned that job down and stayed with Henrico.
1: Well, they were a couple of days late and a dollar well, short. I got, my right? goal
0: was to be uh, so Richmond, a Richmond firefighter anyway.
1: If Richmond had come first, you'd be in Richmond. A- absolutely. It
0: was just... It was just um, who was the unlucky guy that picked me up first? <laughs> so <laughs> so when I don't you, know about the unlucky part, but w- when you were hired and started, how many
2: career people did we have?
0: My badge number was one ninety one. My starting salary was ten thousand one hundred and three dollars, mm-hmm. and I was a rich man.
2: Yep, yeah. yep, mm-hmm. and I think at the one ninety one at that time we were still doing
0: su- yes. succession. Yeah. Yeah. okay, yeah. that was really close to actual. Yep, yeah, wow,
1: okay, mm-hmm. yeah. What was recruit school like? Did they did you send you to a recruit school?
0: Mine was unique. These are back in the days where overtime was completely taboo. Uh, I came on and it wasn't enough people to have a recruit school, so I started directly into the station. Mm-hmm. So I got my assignment, twenty first in Maine. Uh, they sent us from there to Fire Station Seven on Laburnum Avenue. At Mechanicsville Pike. That's where the quote unquote stock room was then. Mm. And we went over there, and uh, um, all our turnout gear and stuff were in piles and uh, had our name on it. That was used turnout gear? No, it was new turnout gear. It was new, okay. But in the middle of the bay, there was this mountain of used uniforms, Mm. uh, which were um, navy blue pants and shirts. And uh, like I say, it was literally a mountain three quarters of the way up to the bar joist in the bay and our instructions was go over and dig in that pile until you find uh four pair of pants two shirts that's short sleeve and two long sleeve shirts that fit you and uh take them home and wash them. Hmm. and then um the next order of business was you got to go to the tom mccann store at azalea mall and buy you some plain toed black
1: shoes to wear to work So they, then you went straight to the station. It was went straight to
0: the station. I was in the station for um, three years before I got assigned to Recruit Academy. Oh, wow. Recruit Academy then was eight weeks long. So uh, because I had some experience and could demonstrate that experience, nothing special, um Uh, is, hey, we can't afford for you to go to recruit school because we can't pay overtime for somebody to take your place while you're gone. I actually got transferred three times in one day. Battalion chief came by 10 o'clock in the morning. Cricket, here's your transfer to recruit school. Be there Monday morning, 0800 hours. And the recruit academy then was run out of the bedroom at Fire Station 2. A little after lunch, he came back with another transfer. It said, forget that. Uh, You're going to stay in the district. Uh, before 4.30, they called back and said, hey, man, it, it, you're going to training. Hmm. Got it? Okay. Uh, when I came back to work Thursday, uh, it was forget going to training. You're not going to training. So uh, that all that went on in two days' time. And uh, then I went to recruit school finally after uh, almost three years in the station. And I made it through four weeks of that. And at the halfway point, they came and got me and said, hey, man, you go back to work your next duty day on this shift. Uh, and they pulled me out of recruit school and put me back in the station. Don't tell anybody, but I ain't finished recruit school yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going there. So you haven't even graduated recruit 44 and a half years, and you still haven't got out of recruit school. So, um, <laughs> uh, don't don't I, tell the chief I that. Got, you might find. About, I gotta, you'll get a memo I gotta, this evening that says gotta, be in training next well, day. the
0: reason i got to get out of jail free <laughs> right. at, So, and What station were you signed? Uh, my original assignment was fire station one. One. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So what was a? I mean, that was seventy. Well, seventy nine or so. When you didn't finish recruit school, mm-hmm. uh, where did you go from there? What? How? How long did? Because I know you've been promoted, obviously through the ranks. When did you get promoted to lieutenant?
0: Uh, I got promoted to lieutenant in May of nineteen ninety, um, and I was currently working at a fire station number six, and uh, I stayed at one for almost the first for like nine plus years. Uh, I got transferred to number seven. Uh, I stayed there for about a year and I walked in one morning mysteriously. Henry can remember this. I walked in one morning at number seven and um, this is when the fire department was really good at keeping a secret. Mm -hmm. I walked in one morning at number seven and uh, the guys on the other shift uh, were there and said, hey man, you need to go to number six I said okay i said for the whole tour do i need to take my sheet stuff I said no you need to clean your stuff up you're going to number six for good i said what I Said yeah I said you're going to be assigned to an ambulance what and that's mm-hmm. when that was that was in 1988 so um sure enough they weren't kidding um i moved to number six that day uh won't long after that that we were assigned to uh, like two weeks at training and uh, Henry here uh, took me around and showed me the wonderful world of the hospital ERs and where the sheets were. And the the most beneficial thing was, hey, if you get over here and need help, that's the girl that can help you. Okay. The people. <laughs> yeah, he identified all of the uh, all all the. All the phone of friends that we had at the hospital there. Hey man, if you get over here and need help, this this person here find this person here. Yeah. So so that was your first. We were all walking on the moon with that stuff. Yeah. Back
1: so that then. was your first uh, truly your indoctrination into EMS. You've yep. been strictly a mm-hmm. hose and water and nozzle kind of guy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep.
2: And you carried that certification on yeah. in your EMS. Yeah,
0: I, I um um I got promoted. I went to number twelve and I got my cardiac technician. Mm-hmm which was back in the day at, uh, to be quite honest with you R-O-M-D it wasn't any difference than a cardiac tech and a paramedic except you went through a whole lot more training and I did uh, I did my hog tricks and all that stuff like everybody else and um, made it through uh, ACLS and same guy still teaching that you know what I'm getting at? <laughs> I, <laughs> do, I do so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, yeah it was, uh, it was cool and yeah. um well that's this that's that's where that that's where that went
1: so. did you uh did you ever go to staff position or be, you you've been on shift your whole career
0: I've been on shift all my career except for one small amount of time I was in fire training uh about three and a half months
1: did you was that a request to go back to the district absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: I was a complete polar bear at the equator so.
3: yeah but
2: but Cricket has spent his whole career teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Just because he wasn't assigned to training doesn't mean he didn't provide any any teaching. And uh, there's a, a lot of documents that are written uh, by Cricket uh, that were initially probably directed towards a shift or maybe a station, but got picked up division-wide. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, I'm sure some of those documents have been shared outside the Division of Fire. So if we could put all those documents in
1: one book, it, it, it would equal a nifsta manual right now it'd be a big book yeah and i've got a a clip of a podcast we did uh, a while back and i'm gonna play that for you in a little bit and see get kind of get your reaction to that and kind of talk about your philosophy as your approach to that because i think it's, it's pretty impactful at least it was on them um so you've been been around firehouses since the 70s um and again you served across henrico what uh What kind of fire service traditions have you seen out there that you think uh, have either gone by the wayside or fading that that it's kind of a bad thing that we're losing some of those? Well,
0: I think, you know, the fire department naturally uh, mirrors society because that's where we get our people from. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess probably the most uh, noticeable thing to me is, you know, the fire department is ever-evolving, you know, technology, toys, trucks, uh, people. Um, But probably the most noticeable thing and the most disappointing thing, uh, not only for me, but disappointment I feel for other folks, is society seems to be becoming more individual. People want their space more. Uh, I came into the fire service. It was, hey, we did as much stuff off-duty as we did on-duty. We go to the tobacco festival parade and sit there in the middle of Broad Street and eat peanuts and sneak a beer in over there on a uh, in Swiftie's station wagon and take the kids down there. We, we were always doing stuff on our days off and families come by the fire station and and we'd have a cookout on the weekends and so um, you know, we had a lot of a, a, a common uh, interest and we spent a lot of time together and our families grew together not only just. Relationship at the firehouse, but wives and kids, um, and I just don't see as much of that anymore. I see more people pe- people wanting to be more uh, socially isolated and connect electronically than actually physically, even while they're at work. Um, I'm not saying it's right or wrong; it's just different from me, right. you know. And I, and um, the sad thing is, is, is. Uh, as much as a comfort that is for them, and as broad a spectrum of the world they're able to, to uh, to impact much broader than I was able to because I didn't have an internet and uh, a cell phone that could give me all that access. Is um, m- those relationships that came out of that? Um, I, I wouldn't trade them for anything, and there's uh, I just don't see those getting built like they used to yeah. or having the opportunity and it seems like um something that i was very fortunate to be able to be exposed to that folks these days are going to miss mm-hmm. i mean they won't know they missed it but don't miss
1: it so what would you say to uh i mean either something you do now as a district chief i mean obviously you're not you don't have a shift per se you're in engaged with like you would as a company officer so you've got basically all the sh- stations in the county am I right so you're
0: right. I'm I'm the mother-in-law of the fire department
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the whole county when you've got when you're on duty right what what would you what kind of recommendation would you give to um a company officer or crew or even a battalion chief that might be working for you or even that don't that doesn't work for you to try to develop that camaraderie a little bit more in today's environment is there a way to do that do you think
0: I, I think it is but I think it's it's work that never ends um and I think it's also going to be uh, some people that are going to respond to it, and I think it's going to be some people that don't respond to it um and the significance of that is being able to accept both of those um, mm-hmm. instead of go. thinking, "Hey man, what's wrong with with the guy that don't want to do that is uh, that's that's okay it's just it's just the way it is um but yeah. that is that is a an area of uniqueness now that I find awkward for me to fit in. Maybe I'll say it that way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing we've done is, for the right reasons, we're building our stations that sort of allows and accommodates that, mm-hmm. such as individual bunk rooms now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason for that, but that tends to, when people want to go and be in their own space, they've got their own space. Sounds and to go to and nobody else is in there. And uh, so you don't see that, even, the, even in the in the bedroom, the bunk room, spending some time talking, mm-hmm. uh, post a call, come back and talk about it uh, while you're laying there trying to
0: go to sleep. So,
1: Or um, trying to go to sleep while somebody over on the other side of the room is snoring. Is snoring, <laughs> Yeah,
2: run, running a fan <laughs> at full <laughs> speed. Yeah.
0: My fear is that is that will evolve into where we have a group of individuals, uh, cells, and their only common denominator is they collide into one another when there's a call. Mm-hmm. Um, an and, and, way and, it, sure. and they'll make that work, but it's just a ton of the social aspect and the relationship aspect that I'm sorry they'll miss, mm-hmm. and they might never even know they missed it. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just that's just me.
1: What about? Um what about incidents you've been on? What, you know, what type of memorable incidents out there that uh, kind of maybe that you learned a lesson at or that were very successful in your mind or um, that stick with you over the years?
0: <laughs> well, Henry uh, and I were able to work side by side when we were both loose tenants back when both of us were what I call Tarzan the fireman. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so it, uh, there was a lot of significant incidents uh, But really, what really stands out is not so much the incident, but the people that I had the ability to be on the incident with. And it's just always been amazing to me the level of creativity that somebody can come up with immediately when the chips are down in the most time-compressed adverse situation, the amount of creativity that people can come up with that's completely unorthodox to your your mainstream training, and make things work. Uh, I've seen people put fire trucks in places that you never thought they would be able ever to get them there. I've seen people come up with hose layouts and and ways of accomplishing uh, critical first line on the fire quote unquote task that in in some type of combination that's completely uh, like wow, how'd they do that? Um, and it was all about somebody's creativity. Um, so I think that's probably uh, one of the most memorable things. Is is, is the, the bigger the incident, is the more that creativity you saw. I mean, you know, we were uh, particularly in our early days. In our early days, we our, our staffing's always been three-person staffing. Uh, when I came here, we only had three truck companies countywide and when i came here it was it didn't make any difference whether it was a 10 by 10 Sears shed in the backyard or a commercial building you got 2 inches in a truck uh, and, you work, and you made it work and you made it work um and um it it was not um it was probably more an element of pride that i didn't call for help i didn't say any of that had logic to it uh but it was probably more an element of pride of we're gonna make this work with two engines and a truck uh, uh so that that right there stimulated a tremendous need for creativity of, of a way to find out how to do five persons work with three people um so that that's that's probably been um the memorable thing about incidents that if I had to say that's my memory of it, it's not so much what incident i mean we've, We've had a bunch of incidents where, you know, we had an apartment fire one night, and I was on the truck, and Henry was coming in on the engine. Um, I crawled into this apartment to do my primary search, and we're backing up number nine. And uh, Larry Adams is in there on a the hose line, and I crawl in, and uh, I, s- I tell the guy with me, I say, hey, man, I'm going to go to the right. Why don't you go to the left? we start our normal right hand left hand search and halfway across the the uh living room i run into the hose line i put my hand on the hose and i'm like and of course this is back when Kendall was at number nine and number nine was our hose nozzle shop so they always experiment with something new and had some kind of new piece of hose or mm-hmm. something on their rig and i grabbed this piece of hose and it felt so unusual in my hand and i'm like what kind of stuff has Kendall got on engine? they got a two-inch attack line on here? What are they doing over there? It's just thinking as I'm searching and poking around in this place, and I got my light, and you know it's smoked down to the floor, and I hear Larry back there spraying water, in the bedroom It's on fire, and I get halfway around this room, and I I, I I put my light down to look at this hose that I've got in my hand, and it's got these big diamonds on the side of it. Mm-hmm. where it's a it's it's a bore constrictor. constrictor. <laughs> it wasn't a hose. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a hose. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, snake is no deal for old cricket. So I, I'm like, it's time to exit stage right. I turn around, abruptly exited the building, and the first guy I run into, and I mean literally ran into, was Henry coming up the steps from engine 10. Mm-hmm. And Henry's like, hey, cricket, what do you need? Because I was kind of like... <laughs> Uh, i mean I, out I, yeah i i was in a i was on a mission and uh henry thought i needed something and i did i needed to i need him to get out of my way um and I, all i could remember saying was snake 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 and down the steps i had business so that was uh that was kind of funny at the end of it yeah i
2: remember that so then yeah. um we got the homeowner and or yeah. occupant was yeah. talking to him and he told us, he said, yeah, it's got a snake. We said, well, we found the snake. And then we said, and then he said, well, I've got two snakes, snakes in there. Yeah. So we radioed inside, yeah. and about everybody came out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, knew, we where knew where one was. was. Yeah,
0: so that was, uh, <laughs> that was pretty yeah, crazy.
2: But there was, one good, there was one thing that was happy in that apartment, if I remember right, and that was who was in the other cage. Yeah, yeah, that that was the mice. Yeah, they they were very happy. Yeah, all the guinea pigs (laughs) packed up on the stairs going up to the apartment. They were happy because the snakes weren't no were no longer here, and they knew that they weren't
1: going to be dinner sometime. So were they they part of the investigation to figure out who started the fire? I (laughs) don't know. (laughs) They could (laughs) have been. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. No, no snakes. Pass on the snakes. if you had uh if you had one chance you, you you could go back in your career sometime to an assignment a station a shift where would that be
0: that's a tie um, um, uh, equal amounts of of desire to go back to um, fire station number twelve on the sea shift with the people that I was fortunate enough to work with there for seven years we had a we had a really um we had one of those very unique what I call tsunami wave type of uh where everybody was just so similar interest uh, uh s- a similar interest in the fire department um and it was just really were you the really officer really then cool. or I was that yeah. was my first assignment as a lieutenant oh wow. yeah, who, it was my was, first assignment in the West End yeah God. who was the captain oh uh, bill Lang he got promoted right. to captain the same day that I got promoted to lieutenant mm-hmm. and we both went to number twelve, yep yeah. yeah. So when I got promoted is when they put the lieutenants back in the truck company. That's right. Yep, We took them out, we put them back. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Who were some of the, you know, you, uh, obviously you're a, you're a mentor to a lot of people in the department now, who were some of your mentors coming up early in, well, in the early I've, days?
0: I've already kind of mentioned that a little bit. Uh, I was very fortunate that um, uh, my initial exposure to somebody in the fire department that was going to say, hey man, let me show you what this fire department's about was my first chief in my volunteer fire department. And that's a guy I told you about who was um, a first state instructor. Um, He he never had any any career fire department experience, but he had a passion for the fire service. Uh, But he also had a balance to understand that, hey, um, education is a big part of doing this job right. and I I can remember it just like yesterday. His his name was uh, was uh, L M Buchanan Sr. We called him Buster. Uh, and when Buster showed me around the the engine, uh, uh, my my first time to when I got my gear, quote unquote, at that very young age, um, he's like, "Hey man, if you sign on, you need to hang on." He says because he's had is up here. He said, um, "We don't have much of a fire department because we didn't have a." We didn't have no money. Uh, we had a very, uh, a, a very uh, efficient community. We didn't have a lot of people to get money from. Most of our businesses were agricultural. The tax base in Hanover at the time, uh, you know, ninety-nine percent of that went to the school system. Uh, uh, then the next, the public safety money was used to support the nine-person uh, sheriff's office that included everybody that worked at jail. Um. And then what table scraps were left over, the Board of Supervisors distributed across um, uh, eight fire companies at the time to try to help them buy a piece of fire equipment.
1: All, all volunteer companies all, in the all day. All
0: volunteers. So every, you know, the, the county would help you with uh, putting some money, as much money as they could, depending on what the table scraps were, to help you buy a piece of uh, fire apparatus. But all of the operational things, coats, hats, boots, uh, Electron monitors, pagers, all of that stuff—it had to come out of your own budget and your own fundraising mechanism. So um, we didn't have a lot of a lot of money for all that, but we we had a. Uh, I do know this that there's no amount of money and no amount of procedure that can take the place of a commitment to a cause and a commensurate amount of determination. That will always provide a way, and it was very. Um, uh, that helped shape my values, um, uh, him taking a kid my age and putting me in a burn building um, when i 'm fifteen years old. Think about that risk it didn't it was it didn 't seem like that much risk to me at the time, but think about that by today 's standards and understand what burn building was back then. Uh, my first fire I fought in a burn building was with uh, uh, MSA filter mask, not an SCBA. Not an air. Yeah, not a. Just an air. I, I had a, basically a cigarette filter strapped to my chest and a face piece and um, uh, a concrete burn building, and the fuel load in the burn building was however much used uh, thrown away furniture, household furniture that you could put in it, pallets, uh, equal amounts of kerosene and diesel fuel. And if you really got short on fuel, we'll throw a car tire in there. Um, and that's what that was the quote-unquote standard of care back then uh, you burn anything up that you wanted to get rid of so we'd go out and solicit old furniture and pallets and and then we'd use uh, uh, some some kind of, of flammable liquid cocktail to get all that going like we wanted um, and of course my first pit fire was in that same curriculum mm-hmm. Uh, The old pit at Hanover was an L-shaped pit, and my first flammable liquid firefighting was with an inch-and-a-half hand line, Uh, no respiratory protection because we were, quote-unquote, outside, and it was 500 gallons of used transformer oil that... uh, FEPCO, Virginia Electric and Power Company, had graciously donated to the Hanover Fire Association so we could burn it in our pits and train on flammable liquid firefighting. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew what a PCB was, or if they knew what a PCB was, they didn't know it was harmful back then. So that was my, that's what I cut my teeth on.
1: Times have changed just a touch. For some reason, I've survived
0: all that. I I
1: don't know why. (laughs) Wow. You mentioned, i kind of cut you off there for the, your, I, your kind of dream assignment, you said you had two. Oh, yeah, I one was, was fire
0: station number six uh, down at Laburnum and Jan. So um, I had seven years there. I had two assignments at six. I went to six as a, a firefighter in 1988 when we went in the ambulance business. I stayed there till I got promoted in 90. And then in 2003, I went back as a station captain. And um, um, that was – they were very enjoyable assignments, both twelve and six. It
1: was the six kind of the same scenario? It was as much the people, yeah. So it absolutely. wasn't really the yeah. district as much as uh, the people. The, you the were. The people
0: and the activity. Both of those stations were very active. Uh, like I say, twelve at that time, uh, number twelve ran all the way to Guchan Line, first Duke. So we had a big area, a lot going on in it, a lot of growth. Same thing in six. There's a lot of it was it was a lot of a change going on in that district, social, economically, a lot of activity. Um, at the airport, so it, if, yeah, if, yep. it fed us well. You know, what I'm getting that. Oh yeah. It fed us well. So so
2: there weren't us.
1: many slow shifts.
0: No, absolutely not.
2: Yeah, and they both were two company houses. So yeah. They had an engine in a, yeah. a truck ladder yeah.
1: there. So, cool. Um, let's let's play this uh, this clip. This is uh, a clip from it was episode eight, and uh, Susan Cask. You know, just kind of did uh, get. Her Get you to hear what she had to say susan Kasky? yeah yeah she was one of those
0: uh uh crew members at number 12 that made that experience very enjoyable ah,
1: for well, that was an interesting connection well here you go let's see if we can play this
3: um when i was a rookie to another station um i got to have cricket as my lieutenant and that really turned things around for me uh, we would train maybe once or tw- maybe once or twice a week at at my original station we would train sometimes twice a day, at least once a day, and so that I really felt like I was going somewhere when I, I got to be with Cricket, and I also had him um, when I became an acting officer. <coughs> and it, there are things as an acting officer that I would, I'd be sitting in that seat 20 year late, 20 years later, and I would do something that it was because of of, of the way he taught me or something he said. Uh, you got to take your elephant gun to the <laughs> elephant hunt, <laughs> and if you run into a mount, ma- you know just <laughs> it get might seem some, silly get but, get away with words you <laughs> know he did he you know him okay. so he so he does so um,
1: so uh you you obviously had a pretty significant impact on her career as a as a rookie coming to you
3: th- they're mighty kind
0: words from Susan, but honestly, all I did was provide an opportunity she did all the hard work
1: yeah yeah, that's spoken like a true, humble individual. Su- Susan
0: so. is a product of her uh, enthusiasm, determination, and her passion for the job.
1: That's interesting. All yeah. I
0: did was provide an opportunity.
1: But your opportunities as an officer, you created that environment where your shift is training once, sometimes twice a day. Yeah. Giving them the knowledge that you had at the time, because that was 20, 30 years ago now. I forget how long she'd been on the job before she retired, but. what 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 kind of what's your philosophy towards running a shift that kind of created that environment for her because that that story she was telling was her coming from a previous shift that that environment was not quite as conducive to a positive outlook on the career
0: it gets back to what I call fire department physics objects that stay in motion love to stay in motion objects that stay still love to stay still and you can apply that to the fire service and you can apply that to your careers and where you've been where things might be a little more static and the normalcy or the comfort is let's kind of keep it as static as we can and places where you've been where it, it's a whole lot more dynamic and the, and the thirst is to keep it as dynamic as you can so it's, it's all about um, establishing which culture you want to follow and cultivating that culture, and then it gets to where it runs itself, you know, uh, because the same amount of training and the same dynamics went on when I will not there as when I was there. Um, so, uh, like I say, it's that's a byproduct of fire department physics. Is if you pick the if you pick the right axiom you want to follow, uh, and you. You provide that culture, and you cultivate that culture and that's done by leading from the front um that's that's another thing my original mentor that uh, in my volunteer department did is he 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 led from the front um, and that uh, uh, leading from the front is a very strong ingredient in what we now call servant leadership and i I just saw how well that worked for him in a very remote underserved volunteer fire department that's made up of all these different people from so many different backgrounds and the only common thing they had between them was the fire department that's it and take that and form it into a band of merry men that could do impossible stuff in a small rural farm community and it was amazing yeah. and that's uh, th- the effect that had on me to see that um helped shape uh this is the way you need to do this job the right way
2: and and, and I'll go back to the the training aspect of it cricket what you brought to the table is a lot of people think of training as well, let's read this book. We're going to ask questions about it and take a test, maybe, and do stuff like that. And cricket was no. Let's go out here and put our hands on it. Let's get something yeah. out of the compartment that we haven't touched in a while. Let's put our hands on it, and then after we've done that, let's do a what if situation. What if this is not the way we think it's going to be? But the car is going to be not only upside down, but the nose is going to be stuck in the yeah. water. Or just the what if things? And uh, that that was the opportunity. And and if the the s- shift came to cricket and said hey we'd like to do this he, he didn't say no he'd say alright let's do it but let's do it twice and, and not only do it, let's don't do it just during the daytime when we can see let's go do it at night where we got to use lights yeah. and he was always thinking and, and
0: pushing people and that, that breeds what I call that one upper training mm-hmm. is hey I mean, we, w- we did this fundamental thing but let's, let's one up mm-hmm. it and then let's one up it mm-hmm. you know what I'm getting that so constantly people are pushing their own bar Right.
1: higher and higher. You mentioned that cr- the creativity on call scenes, you know, not necessarily the incident itself that was memorable, but the creativity. Does does that mentality of training them, let's not do it the easy way, let's do it a little bit harder, a little bit harder way, do you think that cultivates that creativity I, on I, the fireground?
0: I think when I look back at all those creative people, they all came from that same dynamic mold or had, or that dynamic influence, you know. N- not necessarily mine uh, but uh, they, they all came out of that came out of that dynamic mode of, of, um, uh, I, I get to where I have a culture of I got to keep moving and if I got to keep moving I got to find something productive I got to find another challenge I'm going to challenge myself um, spoke about that earlier with your career I got to yep. find something to challenge you gotta find the
1: next thing yeah, it's, it's the next thing the next mission
0: the next thing. The only thing is, it translates into the next day at work. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting and fun to watch that happen.
2: Yeah. And that's what makes it um, in a situation where you want to come to work the next day, yeah, because you don't know what not only that's the call is cool. going to be, but what yeah. what opportunity do you have to what, put what, your hands on yeah. something.
1: What challenge are you going to have before the bell goes that's off? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Anything else? No. it's is well. Cricket always kind of, particularly with somebody who's got. Um, as much experience as you have uh, what's the you're going to get an opportunity right now to speak to the graduating class of a recruit school or of a fire academy in Hanover or a volunteer uh, graduating class Uh, you got got a couple minutes to them to kind of give them the best advice for a long career in the fire service what would you tell them
0: I'd tell them this no matter what interested you in the fire department, how you were recruited or whatever, is this job is simply this. We hired you to be a helper, not a hero. Come to this job with just one simple thing. I want to be a helper. 90% of what we need people to do or what people need us to do for them every day is simply help them. 90% of it's not hero work by the definition on whatever recruitment poster or whatever people's um, initial impression of the fire service is. I've seen both. I've seen hero people come to this job with a hero mentality and I see them completely miserable with the job. And in addition to that, have a negative effect on everybody around them because 90% of the work they're critical of. It doesn't rise to the occasion of what I'm trained for, what I want to satisfy me, what I need it to be for me. Only 10% of that work. I only get productivity out of that guy 10% of the time and that's the 10% of the stuff that they want to do at the level they want to do it and everything else is critical. I shouldn't have to, it, and it's a common denominator, across. I, I shouldn't have to go on these types of calls. Why am I going over here for this guy again for the third time this shift? We've all heard that. Um, I, it, here's what I've also noticed. If you come to this job with a helper mentality of simply I'm gonna go help somebody, I'm gonna do that to my best ability, and I'm gonna simply get ready to do it again, whether it's for the same person or whether it's somebody different. You'll be able to transition yourself into a hero at a moment's notice when a hero's needed, and it'll be quiet and everybody will see a hero's work. What I've noticed with the people that come with the hero mentality is they complain about everything, and the 10% of the time that they do get to perform I don't see where their performance is any better than the helper that transferred himself into a hero. So this job's about simply this, helping. It's not what's in my head that, it's not all the technical ability in my head. The biggest coefficient in this job is your heart. It's not what I carry in my head. It's what I carry in my heart. Our job simply to make a difference in somebody else 's life, not their life, to make a difference in my life today. Yep. We get that pyramid upside down a lot of times.
1: Interesting words to, to close by,
2: so we uh, appreciate that Henry got anything else. No it's uh, it's been a pleasure and
1: I mean we it's could sit here and talk for hours yeah. it's been and fun. Yeah um, I I've uh your name has popped up on more than one occasion from more than one individual from more than one department so uh I'm hoping everybody enjoys listening to uh, some of the I've some enjoyed of the uh, stories
0: enjoyed the opportunity glad to spend some time with you, you know. and uh, it's it's been uh it's it's good to good to go back and talk about some uh a little historical yeah. perspective.
1: Well I'm so. not going to I'm not going to ask you the question that I'm sure everybody does in in, in your stage your career now but uh, after that date comes and goes after your retirement party whenever that might be in another 10 or 15 years uh, <laughs> maybe we'll sit out again and uh, tell some of the other stories we yeah. you probably can't tell yeah, while I, you're I, still I, active
0: yeah, I'll, I'll be able to tell all those stories <laughs> all right
1: so. all right with that uh just a quick thanks to everybody for listening uh make sure you uh you you hit that subscribe or follow button and uh, for those of you listening on apple podcast they're kind of changing up how they do their platform so Give that a look and uh, just so you'll know if you heard that the Apple podcast is going to a subscriber base and uh, we're not taking that this way. So this podcast is still going to be free on the Apple podcast, at least as long as I've got anything to do with it. So uh, you can rest assured that you'll still be able to listen to that on on Apple podcast and Spotify and Stitcher and all the other platforms that are out there. Uh, Just make sure you give us a thumbs up and a rating, and uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Logbook. Thanks, Cricket. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for for the help. Thank you, Robbie.